Hi, I'm Zelina Khan, and you're listening to Next, a Transperfect podcast about business, technology, and the future. On today's episode, we're talking retail, and we'll be joined by Laura Madden, Vice President at Transperfect, and Carl Miller, Managing Director of the Global Retail Insights Network. Carl is actually a great friend of Transperfect. He uh, moderated our panel at the Global Retail Forum last year. Hey, Carl, can you just give us a quick little summary um, about your background? Sure, absolutely. And the Global Retail Forum was amazing. And thanks again to Transperfect for uh, allowing me to participate in that. So much fun. Um, yeah, my, I'm the managing director of the Global Retail Insights Network, or the GRIN. And our main focus is to help retailers and brands understand what it means to go global. So everything from you know understanding uh, market entry into a specific country to uh, more clarity around uh, logistics or uh, customer acquisition or payments, any area of the value chain. Uh, we run workshops all around the world and uh, where we get 25 to 30 brands in a room and talk to, be- talk to them about these topics. So super excited to be here uh, to share a little bit more about what's going on in the world of global e-commerce. <laughs> Thanks for the plug there, Carl. Laura, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. I'm in my 15th year with TransPerfect. I head up our retail and consumer goods practice group. So when it comes to localization and language-related initiatives, I help oversee the launch of uh, you know, global retail expansion. So basically, we have two experts in retail on the show today. Actually, we have three, if you count me being an expert shopper. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about big trends we saw in 2018. I mean, if I were to go through what I have seen this year, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is retail. It's back, baby, right? Five, four or five years ago, we were reading about brick and mortar is dying. Retail was not all that healthy. Now we're seeing business pick up. Consumer confidence is strong. Uh, We're seeing retailers go global again, not only with direct-to-consumer sites and and wholesale partners, but brick and mortar. Um, The focus is certainly more so on the customer experience. If you are going to open stores, obviously we've seen what Amazon is doing um, with their cashierless stores, and I think that'll be a continued focus for brick and mortar. We've also seen, you know, what was it, five years ago, we were talking about how mobile penetration and just mobile shopping was going to flourish I think in 2018, it became kind of the standard of a company to be mobile first with their digital strategy. Um, We're also seeing a huge amount of social media marketing, allowing these new brands to emerge as power players. If you haven't seen Rothy's or Allbirds or Bombas or away products, you're probably not on Instagram, right? And these brands are doing quite well, and they're very successful with their social media strategy. We're seeing long-tail brands pop up through Amazon. And I think through the lens of translation, we're seeing the impact of AI on machine translation. Um, These days, retailers will still come to us and say, here's the plan. We're opening up these stores in these markets, and here's what we're going to translate. Or we're going to launch these three websites and translate. I think when it comes maybe five, ten years down the road, it's not going to be a matter of what to translate. It's going to be a question of how to translate it. So that in every market, you're translating content. But for the higher 
sensitivity markets and higher revenue markets, you're putting that content in a bucket of higher importance and probably doing, you know, you're sticking to that creative human translation. But for smaller markets that maybe don't mean as much to you, but you do have customers in that market going with an AI machine translation model. It seems like big box retailers are enjoying something like a renaissance. What do you attribute that to? The shopping habits of the consumer, uh, millennials, brand loyalty, maybe customer experience? Well, the economy is doing well here. Consumer confidence is up. And there's still plenty of people that want to shop in a store, especially for particular products. So there's always something. And I think retailers are recognizing. So even Bonobos, right, they started as online and catalog only. But now they have these uh, it's kind of like a showroom, which is also a fitting room where you go in and you get fitted. And now you know your exact size. You play around with someone that's helping you to match your style. And then you can order whatever you want so that it's it's more efficient for you down the road. So I think honing in on one specific thing. Rent the Runway as well. They even have a store, right, where this is what the customer wants to do when they come in store. Why are they coming? It's not just to shop. It's because this is one of the challenges of shopping online and creating a cool customer experience around it. Do you Have you ever done any Black Friday shopping? Online? I cannot remember if I've ever gone to a store on Black Friday. I'd much rather shop <laughs> on a computer uh, or my phone, right? So, okay, if, we were, if we're separating big box retail from retail brands from Amazon, big box re- retail still has a lot of problems they need to fix. Like, I don't know where Macy's goes from here, if not international, right? We're biased. We're in New York City. We're blocks away from the Macy's headquarters in Herald Square. Who shops there? Tourists. It's probably 85% tourists, if I had to guess, right? So if I were Macy's, my strategy would be going to China, going global, and being the major department store for companies or countries, sorry, that are emerging as, you know, where where the middle class is emerging, right? I would be looking at Brazil. I would be looking at China. And they've already closed a lot of stores here, right? And I think that might continue. Brands, on the other hand, if they have some sort of niche focus and customer and they're providing an experience in store and multiple channels to buy the product and brand loyalty still matters, obviously, I think they'll continue to grow. Carl, you? Uh, No, I stay way away from stores that entire weekend. For those that don't know, Black Friday marks the beginning of the shopping season. It's the day after Thanksgiving, and um, it's usually on this day that retailers are actually able to turn a profit, thus going from being in the red to being in the black. I wish you guys could see my air quotes right now. Black Friday can be exciting. It's something I've done with my sisters, but in the recent years, I think some retailers have gone too far. Um, opening up as early as 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. And this has sparked a lot of controversy, you know, regarding labor laws and causing violence amongst consumers, rushing to make those doorbuster sales. I think that the brands that win are the ones that have that level of compassion, understanding, and clarity around their, their identity. That's what I love about brands like REI and Patagonia and some of these other brands that are mm-hmm. basically going anti-trend or, or right. really just have a very clear understanding of their brand identity mm-hmm. um, because it's really about their brand isn't just about the consumers. Their brand is about the people that, that work there, right? And so honoring their time and having compassion 
towards, you know, the people that they work with and, and their entire sort of community, which extends into all of the stakeholders, whether they, you know, employees or consumers or whatnot. I'm definitely more likely to buy if I know a company has good ethics, um, if they value their employees and are dedicated to charity. That builds loyalty with your customer base. It does. So let's switch gears and talk about influencer marketing. To me, this is like a review on steroids. Between Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, tastemakers are convincing consumers to buy products they probably wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, I think there's some companies that have really put that as their number one um, way of of attracting and, and identifying new customer segments. So Fashion Nova is a company that comes to mind where I think they're about to do a billion dollars uh, as a pure play online. And they are exceptional at identifying uh, not just domestic influencers, but ob- obviously a community of global influencers at this point. So their attention and focus in that area certainly is helping, is driving their entire business. And I think if you look at their um, just, you know, my observations around their organic spend is that they're certainly, you know, mostly focused on influencers as ways of driving their business versus, uh, um, you know, Google Should AdWords or other. Should I know what Nova is? Do I not follow enough celebrities? Is this what's happening? We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> they have such a variety of celebrities and bloggers vouching for them. One of the cutest slogans I saw um, was, uh, I think it said, I could buy designer, but this Fashion Nova fits. Yeah, and I think the neat thing about Fashion Nova is that they really are, um, they really do have a breadth of, of types of customers that they that they attract, right? So the neat thing is that they're really welcoming and, and sharing and, and, and marketing to to all of us, if you will. Um, the other interesting one that, that I just want to touch on as well, also a, a, an L.A. company, is Ipsy, um, where they actually have a studio um, at their facility where they invite, you know, brands and partners that they work with um, and the influencers and others, you know, come in there and they really have a great time and very playful environment. They have a a pretty big like warehouse where they have several different studio areas that are are designated. So they can actually be running three or four different um, live uh, like Facebook lives and other uh, programming all at once. So it's a super exciting environment and they have all the equipment and, and people just ready to go. So it's, it's, it's a neat look at how to not only um, create buzz around the influencers, but also create an entire ecosystem around uh, bringing in people um, really from all around the world to share their experiences around uh, cosmetics and makeup. It's almost like they're, they're not anti-high-end retail, but they're like, hey... I could go with these really expensive jeans, but these Fashion Nova jeans fit. Okay. So, we'll talk about it. I'm going to have to show it to you. <laughs> so one of the things I did want to touch on when we talk about influencers is the growth of sort of the digital red envelope environment in China and all of the ways that um, digital currency and digital awards are actually promoting um, uh, are helping to promote brands out there. So there's entire platforms in China that um, help where an influencer can actually just go up and start promoting the things that they like. And based on their following and organic um, digital currency flow, they can make hundreds of thousands of, of, of U.S. dollars a year um, because they have such a you know, sparked in attitude or personality 
or whatever it might be that, that allows these, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers to support them. So there's all of these different uh, modalities or, or ways that um, influencers and, and different ways of marketing brands uh, are popping up. And I think that that's a phenomenon in China that's absolutely just sort of taken storm over the so last year. So both of you mentioned that you don't do Black Friday shopping, but you like to do online and small business shopping. So my question is, what are some of the things you like to buy online and what are some of the things you like to buy in store? So I buy almost everything online. Uh, I like buying sports stuff in the store. So we just recently got a, a local sports chain, sports basement close to my house. And I love that store because it's sort of like, you know, you get a walk through, you don't know exactly what they're going to have. But I like anything where I'm playing sports, I like to have, I like to buy in person. Um, I had an experience recently where I was, not too recently, like a year and a half ago or so, where I was buying uh, new soccer boots. Um, or football boots, soccer shoes, uh, cleats. Um, and and uh, it was, I, I couldn't find, I mean, the, there's some local soccer stores and whatnot, but I just didn't find anything um, at the physical store. And of course, when you're buying cleats, you really want to have a good fit around them. And so I ended up, I ended up getting like six different uh, uh, cleats delivered to my house and was running around with them and everything. And then I realized something really powerful is I had never paid attention to return policies before. And if the return policy was off, I would just never order from them again. Yeah, I need free returns is the type of thing, especially if I'm trying on like six different pairs. And so that sort of caught me by surprise. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that was that's one of my areas of shopping is, if I'm sports shopping, I want to do in person, but now I'm realizing that the better quality stuff and the, and the stuff that I need, more and more of that is online as well. So while Carl was giving his answer, I wrote down the three areas where I still shop in store, and it happens to be three Fs, furniture, food, and for fun. Food is, um, food shopping online is a big thing. Instacart. I have done it, but... When they're picking out the tomatoes, they're not me. Yeah. I, need I just to pick up my own avocados too. Right. Avocados, that's 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 like a gamble sometimes. It's funny because yeah, the, the penetration of grocery shopping online in the UK is enormous. It's like twenty twenty percent or something. I guess it depends what you're purchasing. I think the only food item we get online is a uh, there's cat food that shows up once a month. <laughs> you like, know? What is, what, is, what is this heavy box? And I'm like really excited about it. Well, there's a JCPenney by my house. And when I was younger, they used to give out these snow globes, <laughs> really cute holiday snow globes. And um, they had multiple entrances. So me and my sister, we would basically go through all the entrances so we could get enough snow globes. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't even right. shop there. I would just get the snow globes. So you come home with eight snow globes and nothing Yeah, else. I had to give one to my mom, one to my grandmother, <laughs> the other sister. But um, So that was your holiday shopping. No, I would buy stuff too. <laughs> I would buy stuff, um, but I wouldn't do the 4 a.m., 5 a.m. thing. Um, I still had to recover from Thanksgiving. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd go 8.30, 9. I'd, I'd get Shouldn't a couple sales. should this be the benefit of online shopping? 
Right. You don't I like hear... the experience. I'm the experience girl. Like fighting for parking no, spots. Oh, no. And waiting in line. I live for an in the hour. North Bronx. We don't have those issues. Like, okay. we just have a very big and it's just like we're getting coffee. We're going. It's like me and my sisters. We have a weird thing. My thing is shopping in the Union Square Christmas market. Uh, right. All artisan designers. Mm-hmm. That is a Christmas experience for me. Not fighting with thousands of other people. I don't people. fight. Um, if I can, uh, in terms of future trends is there's a lot of companies out there. It's really about micro-targeting at this point and, and what we call uh, identifying white space opportunities. And so, you know, we work with a lot of brands and retailers that are exceptional at um, really seeing the entire globe as and, and the regulatory changes and, and whatnot as as opportunity. And so some specific examples is, you know, working with a lot of Australian retailers, they see that um, currently the way um, that, you know, tax and duties are assessed and, and certainly from a geographic perspective, a lot of them are basically saying, okay, here's an opportunity to go into the U.S. market um, and to sell, for example, into the West Coast because it's the easiest coast to get to. There's populated um, and so they're basically seeing it as an as a, as a opportunity over the next six to 12 months to really go in there and to do, um, to set up shop, if you will. So companies like Shopo, I don't know if you've heard of them, out of um, uh, Sydney, um, they're basically a fashion, fast fashion company that's really taken Australia by storm, and now they're starting to poke into the U.S. Um, in, in, and competing favorably because of, uh, you know, um, some of the advantages that they see on the regulatory side and, and selling into the U.S. Um, other companies I know that are uh, larger companies that are uh, pure plays as well have seen an advantage uh, in selling into Latin America where there is um, additional fees for U.S. companies shipping down into certain Latin American countries. But if they ship from China, actually have an advantage there. Micro-targeting is nothing new to the marketing space, but there was a lack of data and data sharing. Um, and I think now that combined with user experience makes it way more seamless and cost-effective to the retailer to get their product in the right hands. So there's all these ways of and sophistication of how to uh, dive and how to sort of develop your, your strategy and, and going global, but it really takes a, a, a look at across the value chain, how can you compete in a specific area, in a specific region? Um, and that's some exciting, like very sophisticated work that uh, as companies look into the future that they can dive into. I don't care what your size is. I think if you have the right people in your boardroom, you can really uh, attack this global market in a very sophisticated manner. I feel like we've been discussing the future of retail for much of this episode. I mean, this podcast is called Next. But can we talk about what else is next for businesses that want to go global? What else I think we'll see more of is just globalization on a local level. And what I mean by that is, and again, my my view of this is through the lens of someone who works for a translation company, but retailers translating content for the domestic customer and seeing an opportunity there. We've been doing a lot of consulting with brands, taking a look at their digital analytics through the lens of the browser language preference of those hitting their site. And to their credit, Lancome did this three, four years ago. 
And we help them translate their USA site, where they do not ship outside of the U.S. from this particular site, into U.S. Spanish. That doesn't surprise anyone, but also into simplified Chinese. That was really the first e-commerce client I can remember localizing into Chinese for the domestic market. Now, that site crushes their Spanish site. They run single-day promotions locally. They run... Chinese New Year promotions locally, and obviously they knew that they had a, an audience that preferred to speak that language that buys their product. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for similar companies to do the same. Ultimately, it comes down to understanding that each each country presents a new opportunity, and if you're not really listening, and if you don't really understand the consumer and have what I would call sort of compassion around the consumer. Um, then you could actually be doing harm by going into these countries. So it's a very special relationship that needs to be honored. And uh, certainly, I think that's one of the reasons why I like working with TransPerfect because a lot of times people think that um, you know translation is about word translation, but it's not just that. Obviously, it's really about translating the experience of who you are to that local consumer, and that's a nuanced conversation that can't be addressed with. Uh, with automated language translators. One of the things that I find customers or retailers, I should say, don't have a great handle on yet is listening to their customer, especially on a global basis, right? So you decide that Germany is a market in which you want to sell. You open a store, you launch a direct-to-consumer website. Maybe you're selling through a wholesale channel partner there, and you see revenue coming in and you're tracking engagement and conversion, but are you listening to them? Are you understanding what products they're really interested in so that down the road you adjust your product assortment for that particular customer to make a bigger impact? Are you watching where they go on the site, how they engage with the site? Where are they getting tripped up? I feel like we do that so much on their on the home site, if it's in English or any other language. But we don't feel like we have the ability to listen, whether it's mentions in the media or social media comments in German. It's just something that is kind of out there that retailers haven't necessarily wrapped their heads around how to do that in an effective way and then action that data. But I think we'll see it. I, th- I think a lot of the conversation will be around listening to the customer globally in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Who knew talking retail and tech could be so fun? Thanks again to our guests, Laura Madden, Vice President of TransPerfect, and Carl Miller, Managing Director of the Global Retail Insights Network. This is going to be the first of many podcasts we'll be having to talk about the future of technology and business in various industries. To those listening at home, at the office, or on the go, we have new episodes coming out each month. Make sure you subscribe with us wherever you get your podcasts, or head over to nextpodcast.transperfect.com, or email us at nextpodcast.transperfect.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't be afraid to hit the like button or leave a review. Be honest, we can take it, but be nice too. This podcast was brought to you by Transperfect Global Business Solutions, produced by Ulrich Burke, and special thanks to Dave Salerno, Nick Trinidad, and Shu Yi Lee. And I'm your host, Zelina Khan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>